Hello and welcome to Braveheart Conversations, where we learn the art of love through brave and compassionate conversations. I'm Jillian Aurora. And I'm Marie Wallace. And we are your hosts today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Braveheart Conversations. I am Jillian Aurora, and I'm here with my co-host today, Marie Wallace. Good morning. And today, um, I'm super excited to be here with you guys and to talk about getting out of an abusive relationship and the mislabeling that happens between uh, narcissism and abuse. I want to dig into the differences there. Um, so before we get into that, I just want to thank you for being here wherever you're joining us from today. Um, there's a couple of different resources and platforms that you can access us, access, access us at. <laughs> Um, you can access us at Facebook, our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash, slash Braveheart Conversations. We'll see if I can speak today. And Podbean and Spotify. And then we are also currently working on getting onto iTunes. So that should happen any day now. So That's we cool. do um, offer updates and discussions on our Facebook group. So please join us there if you haven't already. And after this pandemic is over, we will also be live again in our group every week on Thursday mornings. So be sure to check us out and give us some love. All right, so today I want to start by talking about what is narcissism and how is it different than abuse? I think there's a lot of information out there on narcissism and it can be kind of confusing. So coming from a mental health background, um, I, I remember learning about all of the different personality disorders from the DSM-4 at the time. And um, the thing about personality disorders is they're very, very rare. A couple things that, that stand out to me about personality disorders. One is they're very rare, actually 1% or less of the population uh, is, is actually diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And it can only be diagnosed by a professional, so a, a psychologist, um, which we have a lot of people out there diagnosing their partners with narcissistic <laughs> personality disorder. And the yeah, other thing that really stands out to me about personality disorders is that they are static, meaning they don't, they don't change, they don't actually become developed in adulthood. They develop early on in childhood or adolescence. And that's actually one of the criteria. So if, if it hasn't shown up by adolescence or by very young adulthood, then um, there, nobody's gonna get it later. So there's a couple of things that, um, that are the criteria that a lot of people just don't know about um, narcissistic personality disorder. Now, I wouldn't really care about why that makes any kind of a difference, like who cares if people are just saying narcissistic personality disorder. However, I think this harms us in a couple of different ways, and so I, I really wanna bring that into the discussion here. The reason why I think that this is harmful is that when we claim that abusive behavior, because that's what we're talking about here, verbal abuse or physical abuse, the mindset of entitlement, when we claim that that is a mental health problem, we are actually harming ourselves and the abuser. So A, it's very easy to give more empathy to someone who has a personality disorder or a mental illness right? Which I'm not mm -hmm. saying we shouldn't have empathy or compassion. We should always have empathy or compassion, but dealing with abuse is kind of a different animal. Um, we are already being taken advantage of often in that situation. So our, our, our compassion is being taken advantage of. Um, and the thing is, when we are claiming that abuse is a, a mental illness, there's a couple of things that happens. For the, the victim, of the abuse, we are, we're not really calling it what it is. And for the abuser, actually we could be limiting their ability to get help. So abuse, an abuse problem and narcissism are two different things. So if someone has 
narcissistic personality disorder, there's actually no cure. They're never going to change as a personality disorder. It would be like saying if you're an empath that you're somehow going to change being an empath. You can't. The other thing that's important is that um, abuse problems, there is a chance of getting better. The reason being is that it's a thinking distortion, right? It's not a mental illness, it's a thinking distortion. And, and after reading a lot of literature, what that thinking distortion is rooted in is entitlement, which makes total sense to me because as we're coming from a millennia, you know, generation after generation after generation of women being oppressed, this was just the norm, right? Like my grandma didn't have the rights that I have. Um, it was, it was known that chattel women being chattel which means property of their their husband actually that never this is so crazy that never actually got changed in our laws that's crazy wow yeah. that's crazy yeah we are so, so blessed <laughs> so um i think it makes total sense that this this belief of entitlement that well this is my wife so she owes me her time her effort her money her body like she's my wife so of course she gives me those things and how dare her if she doesn't right so i believe that abuse is rooted in that belief system and as we stand up and become more and more um standing in our own right of equality and really just as human beings. We're not asking to be treated special. We're being asked to be treated as, or demanding, I should say, we're not asking, we're required. Yes. <laughs> We're going to be treated as human beings. Then this whole system gets to change. So that was a really long intro, but hopefully you're kind of get, catching my drift about what narcissism is and why it's really dangerous to label abuse narcissism. So Marie, I want to hear your thoughts about that. Well, what I really appreciate about having um, a definition is it allows someone to see their options or ways that they can um, work on the problem as a, as, um, as it is, instead of, um, especially if narcissism can't be treated, then you're up against something that's a lot um, different it's like you said, it's a different animal. And with abuse, we have to look at what our, our responsibility is in it first. And then it's also what can we do having options from there. So I really appreciate you making a definition between the two so that we can actually do something more about it. We can see the problem as a whole and then, and then come up with, you know, what can we do now? So, um, and not being in that victim role, but in a, in a very, um, and an advocate for ourselves. I think that's where some of the problem lies too, is we're not being an advocate for ourselves because we're willing to throw these labels on it and then sort of go, well, I, there's nothing I can do or, you know, and so anyway, I appreciate the definitions. Yeah, and I like that you touched on the other side too, which is actually the damage we do to ourselves when we label ourselves as empaths. Because I see this like icky, well, we're empaths, so we're the good people. We're the ones that care about other people and we're just being taken advantage of. And then the other side is, you know, they're just the hateful, evil, mean narcissist. And I, I really think that's, that's so simplistic and it's also really detrimental to both people. We are all coming out of a wounded collective space mm -hmm. where the masculine is consuming the feminine and feeling entitled to have the feminine and deserving and not asking permission. We're all coming from that. And on the feminine side, we are coming from a paradigm where we have been consumed. We have been, um, we have been taken advantage of and victimized. However, it will not serve us to continue perpetuating that belief that the masculine is just evil and that the masculine is just going to continue consuming us. We must awaken our own warrior, which means we must take responsibility for, it's, it's our ownership, our responsibility of taking care of our own protection. So when I allow myself to be taken advantage of, and then I 
place that responsibility on a narcissist or someone who's <laughs> yeah. then I'm actually disempowering myself and, and perpetuating the cycle. When yeah. I, however, awaken my warrior and take ownership of my own protecting my space, I can be an empath. That's great. Yes, I'm compassionate. Yes, I'm super empath empathic. Yes, I'm intuitive. I have all those beautiful feminine characteristics. That does not mean that I can't also be in my warrior, which is confidence. It is setting boundaries. It's saying, no, you may not. You may fuck off. <laughs> you know, it is, it is that energy. You could have both. You can have that warrior and your, your goddess or your feminine. Um, they, they pair really well together. And see, the thing is, I think that we have been so victimized as the feminine for so long, we feel very betrayed by the masculine and the external. And so we have the opportunity now, instead of waiting for the external masculine to recognize our worth and to be there for ourselves, we have the opportunity now to awaken our own warrior and see our own truth and protect ourselves and not allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. And this is how we shift everything. We shift our own empowerment and we also shift the entitlement paradigm that the masculine is holding, which it makes sense that it take, it's gonna take them a little longer to come out of that for some of them, not all of them, but some of them it's gonna take a little longer to come out of that because it's like, it's like me as a white person, I can't quite empathize with how different it's right. been for an African-American. I, I can never quite wrap my head around what that experience is. I can do my best, but I was never the slave, right? I was never the one that was being beaten and had all of my rights taken away as, as a different race. I never experienced that. So I understand how the masculine may have a harder time wrapping their head around the oppression and abuse of the feminine. Whereas we get it, we've experienced it for a long, long time. We've experienced it. So um, anyway, I feel like I'm rambling again, Marie. No, you're good. You're good. I, what I liked too was that you showed the, the how those two things can work within us because the feminine is the empathic part. It's just the alarm. It's the, the indicator that something's up and um, it's, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, I'm thinking of all of a sudden I thought of a drug dog, you know, like, oh, warning, you know, there's something here that you should pay attention to. So that feminine side, the empathic side is the one that we get to pay attention to that there's something awry. And then, like you said, have that protective warrior coming up that of our own so that we're not dependent on someone else for that and no matter how small we are I, I have a short story I, I used to ride with well I worked for the police department and I rode with the officers and there was a day that the first day that we had a, a woman police officer and she was a little tiny thing and and I remember even having to change my own thinking because I go this this gal is so small, you know, somewhat, especially like a domestic violence situation, what can she do? And I saw her stand up against this guy that was like six, three and just, because what she could do with words, you know, he would try to do with power. So there are other ways to use our power to protect ourselves that may not be a physical power. And just use that example so that, that you could envision it differently. From that day forward, I never thought that a woman police officer could not be effective. There are some things obviously she physically can't do, but but there are other ways to use our power that may not be a physical way of using it, which is why I use that example. Yeah, that, that actually reminds me when I was a teenager. So I took karate. I was really into Kenpo karate. So kind of in another lifetime, um, I remember I was a cocky teenager and there was a small woman there and she was also a police officer. And um, she wasn't the greatest fighter. And so I, in my little cocky self, you know, I thought, <laughs> how on earth can she be a police officer? And I wanted to go to school to be a police officer. I did go to school to be a police officer, ironically. 
Um, but then I remember talking to another instructor there who worked with this woman as a police officer. And I remember being like, I just don't understand how she can be a police officer. And he looked at me and he just said, she may not be the most physically powerful, but you wouldn't believe the diplomatic skills she has. And it was really powerful to me to acknowledge the difference. And I think that is the feminine power is we are generally so much better at connection. And I'm not saying that men can't also develop that. We all have masculine and feminine energy. So some men have really powerful um, uh, diplomatic skills or communication skills. But anything connection related is very feminine. That's what our energy naturally does is we connect to each other. We're very good at connecting to spiritual realms. We're very um, good at being connected to the planet, plants, animals, other beings. So um, yeah, I love, I love that point that the feminine can be so powerful. Um, one thing that does come up for me is a shadow side of that is a place I found myself a lot was thinking that if I was just diplomatic enough, if <laughs> I was just, if I explained well enough, if I, um, if I gave good enough reasons, then sure. he would get better and everything would be great. It all came back to this worthiness issue that if I could love him enough or love him yes. well enough, then it would be better and he would change and everything would be great. Or I would be the one who could change him, right? We talked about that last week. <laughs> so yeah, that is the shadow side. It's, it's finding that worth or that value in that skill that if, if I'm good enough, then this skill, this natural ability, this natural feminine energy that I have will then make him better. And we can't actually make anyone better. The only person we can heal is we can heal ourselves. We can be a powerful catalyst in healing other people by being in our own um, power and in our own energy. I, I love the, um, the quote, um, lighthouses don't go looking for ships to save. They just come <laughs> tiny. It's a beautiful, beautiful image to me that when I'm standing in my power, I am most powerful at impacting others when I'm just being me, when I'm taking care of me, when I am honoring myself, honoring my boundaries, using my voice. That is when I'm the most potent, powerful light. Not when I'm chasing everybody to save and trying to shove advice down their throat. It does not work that way. So that is the shadow side of that, um, that feminine energy is if you're using it to prove your worth, stop, stop it and reevaluate. And that goes for all your relationships. <laughs> yeah. Really get clear about your motives. What are you, what are you trying to accomplish? If you're trying to accomplish proving your worth, then it's, it's really important to, um, get clear about what you want to get clear about unlinking some of these things that are not, they don't have anything to do with each other. Your worth has absolutely nothing to do with your partner's behavior or anybody else's behavior. Zero. Um, it has to do with them, not you. Um, okay. Did I cover everything in narcissism versus abuse? No, I, I think really we wish that we were alive that well. <laughs> because I really want to hear everybody's questions. So maybe we'll have to. I know I missed that. Yeah. I missed that. Yeah. So we'll have to do this again live. Um, but for those of you who are listening to us now, uh, please definitely send us some questions if they're coming up for you. Um, I do understand I have a little bit of an out of the box perspective around narcissism because it is such a, a popular um, trend right now to talk about a narcissistic partner. So I would really just again um, encourage you to look at honestly looking at that person's behavior. Is it just repackaging abuse or is it really narcissistic personality disorder? Which not saying there aren't narcissistic personality disorder uh, people out there. However, like that's such a small small number and the amount of people I see online talking about narcissistic partners, that's not 1%. So yes. somebody's wrong. <laughs> um, I've seen that. 
So, you know, let's get clear about that and let's, let's really address what we're talking about because um, domestic violence is a really big issue. And it's an issue that a lot more women are dealing with than, than they know because they're mislabeling it as narcissism instead of abuse. So moving on, I want to talk a little bit about getting out because this has been heavy on my heart lately. You know, right now we're going through coronavirus. We're going through um, a time where everybody's in lockdown and quarantine and we don't know how long this is going to go on for, but it's, it's being used as a, um, a method of, of really torturing partners and, yes. and it's being, being used as a vehicle for their abuse. And so I just, I, I really want to bring this out in the open. A lot of women who are verbally abused are able to deny it for a long time because in normal life, what do we do? We go to work, we have relief, they go we to We have work. outlets. <laughs> um, we can get up and go to the gym. You know, we have ways to get out. We can call friends. And some of those things are being taken away um, through the vehicle of this pandemic. So by being quarantined, by being stuck in your house with your abuser, the things that are gone is you have no way to get out. There aren't those, um, those small moments of relief where you could go to the gym or you could go to work or they would go to work, they'd be out of the house. You're there all the time together. And um, it's even- those quarters. Yeah, it's even harder to get out. Um, or I'm sorry, it's even harder to call and reach out to um, friends or resources because they're listening all the time and they may even be more, um, you know, more checking up on phone and, and computer and the things that you're doing. They don't have anything else to obsess over when they're not working and they're not out. So um, my heart really goes out to those women who are experiencing um, maybe not physical abuse, maybe it is physical abuse, but um, there's a lot of other avenues of abuse than just physical. If you do have a partner that's obsessing about checking your phone and seeing your notifications and um, being around you 100% of the time and um, obsessing about your behavior, that is, that is abuse. It's abuse. Um, if you have a partner who thinks that you owe them your time and effort, AKA, because you're my wife, of course you clean my house. Yeah. My wife, of course you cook my meals. You take care of the kids. You do the laundry. Like that's just a given. You're just my wife. Mm -mm, that's entitlement, right? That is entitlement. Um, you have the money that the uh, stimulus check you just got. Yeah. Is that treated as your money or is that treated as their money? These are really big um, key factors here in determining this entitlement. Are they feeling entitled to you? Are they demanding sex, your body? Because of course you're their wife. So why wouldn't they? You owe them. So any of these are massive red flags. So if you're seeing any of these, I want you to see them for what it is. That is abuse. It's abuse. Um, and I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to navigate all of the things that have come up that I've heard over and over from women who are struggling with um, partners that they are locked. They're, they're literally nonstop stuck with them all the time. I don't have all the answers, but I do think it's really worth bringing up and, and bringing it into the light. So Marie, what do you think? Um, you know, outside of the factors that I've just said, like, have you seen other people struggling with domestic abuse? Have you seen some of the reports? What have you seen? I, I have, and I think it's like, like you were saying, that close proximity, no way out, no relief, um, not even, and then, then the tensions building, because they're in close proximity, not enough space. We weren't really meant to 
be in close quarters like this as humans. And so I think um, those conversations get out of whack. I think, uh, well, a lot more arguing. I, I hear there's a whole lot more arguing, a whole lot more misunderstanding because you, we're all, especially in the beginning, I think things are starting to ease up a little bit now that we're starting to get a little bit more used to things. But in the beginning, the first three weeks, especially, I, I, I heard a lot of um, just anger, tons of anger, because inside of ourselves, we don't really know what's going on. And then we have this other person or a lot of families together too. So it's, it, we're managing emotions of a lot of people or, or or we feel like we are we feel like we're managing those emotions and uh, sometimes we take on too much of that responsibility and just even little nuances and phrases people are taking out of proportion and then they get into these big arguments and they have no set um I call them fighting rules, fair fighting rules. And so there's all kinds of boundaries being broken everywhere. So without a system in place for, or any kind of boundaries, those are all, everybody's overlapping everyone's boundaries. And I, I've just heard of some really big explosive arguments that um, do lead to domestic violence. It, nonetheless, abuse in how we treat our partners uh, not very kindly. So I, I've heard of a lot of those kinds of things. I've also heard that um, at the WCA here in, in, in town, it's 93% higher since the pandemic started. That's showing that there's a lot of pressure on people. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard the same. I've seen a lot of statistics worldwide that um, domestic abuse has, has heightened. Um, and some are having a much more challenging time reporting as well. Like I said earlier, you know, if you're trapped in a house, it's very hard to, you know, call a hotline or a friend. Yeah. It's tough. Um, so what's coming to me right now is we have, um, I think some shame that is coming up that I've, I've seen some people's posts, you know, is this going to cause us more divorces or is this going to strengthen relationships? Um, well, there's no cookie cutter answer for everybody. No. Everybody's situation is different. And what I don't want to happen is for people just to feel so ashamed that, oh, well, my relationship isn't doing so well and I'm failing and it has nothing to do with you. The silver lining in this kind of experience, because there is one, there's actually a really great one. Like Marie says, find the gold, right? <laughs> there is some gold in this and that is some of the things that we maybe didn't want to see so clearly, we are getting a chance to look at really up close and personal. So you may not have wanted to look at how your partner was just dis disrespecting you and dishonoring you before you got locked in a house with them, right? You may not have wanted to see that. Nobody wants to see that. That's tough. That's really tough um, information to see, but you can't deny it anymore when you're stuck with it. So I think that there's some honesty that's happening. And I do think there's going to be some relationships that dissolve. And that's not like anybody failed. It's a great thing if you notice that your partner is really in a pattern of dishonoring you and they're unwilling to change. You've talked to them about it. You've given them every opportunity to fix it. And they're still dishonoring you you get to leave or step because the relationship only gets worse, right? It, exactly. it, it's not going to get better. It's, it's only going to get worse. And if you're talking about silver linings better now than a lifetime, I mean, a, a lifetime and some people have been in a lifetime of abuse, but, but at some point you'll get to live your life on your own terms. And anyway, that I just wanted to add that little part. No, that's, that's perfect. Um, actually, one of the books that I read talked about that specifically, that very often in the beginning of um, domestic violence relationships, and when I say beginning, these relationships sometimes are 20, 25, 30 years. They're long relationships. They don't start out super abusive, but there are some red flags. And so very often what happens at the beginning is the woman will say, well, 
it's not so bad. I'm willing to stick it out and see if it gets better. A lot of the time that is the thinking. And the problem is when it does get worse, it is so much harder to leave. It really is so much harder. The dilemmas become really crazy. You know, maybe there's kids involved at that point. Maybe your finances are totally enmeshed and your power just gets taken away more and more and more. So um, when you see those red flags, there is no shame at all in saying, I think I deserve better. I know I deserve better, right? And I'm not gonna wait to see if it gets better or worse. Our compromise is often what creates, um, it allows our own abuse to continue. That's our part. We can't change anybody else's behavior, but we can change our own. And when we compromise, it's those little compromises saying, well, it's not so bad. I can deal with this and yeah. wait for it to get better. Well, it might not get better. In fact, the statistics are that it doesn't get better. It actually gets worse. So I'm not saying that to um, rain on your parade, but I like truth. I like reality. And I do believe that you are absolutely worthy. We are all worthy of having honoring relationships, right? Nobody's perfect. Absolutely not. But the thing is, if I make a mistake, and this is probably true for a lot of you, if, if my partner calls me on a mistake and says, God, you really hurt my feelings, my response is not to flip it on them. It's not to um, deflect. It's it's, oh, wow, I, I had no idea. I don't want to hurt you. Um, if you aren't getting the same response from your partner and, and willingness on both sides to always be um, adapting and, and owning our, um, our faults, right? Because we know. We know if we did something that was hurtful. Um, and they know. And if there is an honoring of that on both sides, um, you do deserve that. You do. So make a list. This is this is homework. I give <laughs> a lot of my clients make a list of your boundaries. What are your rights? I have a right to blank in my relationships, whether that's um, conscious communication, nonviolence. I have a right to honest communication, transparency. What is it that you have a right to? And then when that right is violated, what are the consequences? Yes. What do yeah. you do when that person violates your boundaries? Because the thing is, we often wait for other people to honor our boundaries. We're never at other people's mercy. It is up to us to honor our boundaries. So if they inform you that they don't communicate honestly, it's your it is your responsibility boss babe the boss babe that you are get yes. say, mm, you just informed me that you're not a match i don't spend my time with someone who lies period so um boundaries get to have consequences so i would encourage you write down what do you have the right for because we often we often aren't aware. We don't get clear about what we deserve. We know we deserve some things like I deserve love, but what does that mean? I deserve respect, but what does that mean? I want you to get really clear about what that means. I, I'd really like to go to the part about the failure because um, people get stuck on that failing. I know that I did, I, I especially in the marriage department because when you make those vows and those promises, you're like, oh, and it goes back to the loyalty, right? It's, it's I'm failing this marriage and what will that look like to other people? And, and sometimes we're, we're more worried about what others are thinking about us and, and trying to validate what, staying in a situation for that versus getting out of it for ourselves and honoring ourselves in that. And it's, it's, is it a failure by society's norms? Maybe. However, if you think of it as uh, relationships go through seasons and now I know better, I can, I can choose a partner who is more honoring and I can choose a relationship 
that's more honoring. Some, some people choose not to be in any relationship for a long time. And, and that's good too, because you're still honoring yourself. So it's not a failure in this way of shame and blame. And, you know, it's just a season. It didn't work out. Like you said, it's not a match. And there's someone out there that will match me better. And if I can look at it that way, that is most honoring to me, but it's also honoring to the other partner saying, you know what, we're not a, not a match. And, and, and it, owning it from that point of view as well allows me to move in a way that um, it feels better. It feels good to be able to do that. Is it easy? No. Do you feel that shame? Sure, you probably do. And, and it's something to work through, but, but it goes back to if I don't hold those boundaries and honor them, I never will have that relationship that I've longed for all my life. And I deserve that. It's a, it's a right for me to have relationships that fill me, that help me grow and expand, not diminish me or hold me down. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we do have to get really um, honest about, you know, what percentage of the relationship is really great and what you uh, dream of it being. Is it 10%? Is it 90%? Um, if you are chasing after 10% of the relationship that's great, you are putting up with 90% of the relationship and the 10% the is stringing you along. I think that um, there's going to be a little bit in a relationship that's not not great, right? We all have our shadows yeah. we on things, but that should be the 10%. On the whole, the 90% should be great. It should be exactly what we envisioned our relationships to be. And the reality is we get to choose. We get to choose what we put up with and um, we get to choose what our lives are going to be. And if you want to, if you're totally okay with going to the grave, having your relationship be 10% great, that is your choice. That is your choice. You are allowed to make that choice. However, you don't have to. You really don't. Um, you are capable of having the 90%, right? You're capable of having the really, really great relationship very often, or I should say all the time, that starts with honoring ourselves enough and our worth, honoring our worth enough to not accept anything less. You will always get what you're willing to settle for. So if you're willing to settle for the 10%, that's what you're gonna get is the 10%. So um, I think a lot of us are waiting for our partners to see our worth <laughs> instead of learning to see our own worth. And when we do see our own worth, we are willing to take actions that match that. But your partner is never gonna see your worth more than you are. So you're accepting their, their behavior and their abuse of you if that's what's happening. You're accepting that because you don't, deep down, you don't believe that you're worth more and you're waiting for them to see it. And then when they see it, then you can see it. And I'd like to add to if by chance you find you're finding it hard to believe or it doesn't resonate well with you that there are real relationships out because what I get told, especially since I, I am in, a, you know, deep in the relationship is that I've never seen a truly happy marriage and I, or relationship. And I, I challenge that for you to go and find a relationship because I think it's what, what we're seeking, what we're focusing on. We're focusing on there's no great relationship and we continue to validate it over and over again that there aren't great relationships because that's what I'm focusing on. And I would challenge you, what I challenge my people is you, I want you to go out and find a relationship that you think might be happy and look for all the greatness in that relationship and just keep working to validate that there are amazing. Because I said to this person, um, I know 50 couples right off the top of my head that I can tell you are truly happy and truly have the 90%. And if you're looking for 
only at the 10%, of course, that's what you're going to find. But, but in order, if you can't see it for yourself, find that those role models out there that that might be able to help you see that vision a little bit differently how are they speaking to their partner how are they engaging with them how are they uh, communicating how are they having fun and joy and all those things that comes from your list that you just asked them to write right now i have the right to so once you figure out what you have the right for, go out and seek it and find it in other people so you can at least envision in yourself what that could look like. Because I think when we don't even, aren't even able to hold a vision for ourselves, it's hard to go towards that because we just don't, we, we can't see it for ourselves and we feel that we deserve what we have right now. Yeah, I love that. I love um, looking for the evidence, just like we talked about last week, we talked about finding the evidence that we're not good enough, right? That we can always, yeah. I think the flip side is true as well. It's what we're looking for. If we are seeking the evidence that we are good enough and that there are relationships out there that are good enough and um, there are really beautiful and happy couples out there, I love that, that you find what you're looking for. You know, um, I, I think it's funny when we're out looking for a specific type of car, we see them everywhere, right? And it's not that that car is any more on the road than they were. It's just, we are seeing them. And I think that that is very true of our relationship and ourselves. It's what we're looking for. Um, it's called reticular activating system. <laughs> so that you have the scientific name. It's so true. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I always like to talk about the dark side of things. There is a shadow side. Sure. There um, always is. You know, so this, this was something I actually used when I was in a very toxic relationship was I was very good at pointing out all of the good things. And, um, and that was allowing me to minimize the really toxic, dishonoring and abusive things that were going on sure. because I was, I was really good at seeing all the good things and pointing them out and broadcasting them all over the place. So that's why I think your tool of giving them percentage, that's a really good tool because you, you, there are good, good things and you may only be focusing on that 10% that's really great. So I appreciate that you asked us to sit down and give percentages to those rights that we, that we deserve and, and really take an honest look at it. The only person that we're harming in that situation is ourselves when we're dishonest with what's really going on. So I appreciate you bringing up the shadow side. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, I can call them out because you spot it, you got it, right? <laughs> I, I totally did all the all the tricks. So I did too. <laughs> um, but but we know better, and we do yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to wrap up on a note of um, solution. So we talked a lot about um, all of the the icky things that could be going on right now and all the ways that we really trick ourselves, right? Into thinking everything is fine, we're good. Um, but I, I do wanna talk a little bit on a serious note, um, how we find resources and especially this time um, that we're in where we're in this lockdown weird pandemic mode. Um, I'd like to talk about how you can get help and what some actions might be. So I have definitely heard some women um, talk about being in some really awful situations right now and then feeling very alone because they feel like it's a really shitty time to move out. Maybe they don't wanna move out because, you know, they don't wanna go stay at a women's shelter, A, because they could get sick there, B, because they don't wanna give up the rights to their home and they know that it's not, a great thing to do is to leave their home in the hands of their abuser. Um, there's, there's a lot of really tricky um, logistics right now. So I just want to talk about that a little bit. It doesn't really matter which way you cut it. It's going to be a hard time to leave. Yeah. Even, even without a pandemic, like it, it's one of the hardest things in your life that you'll ever do. It's super scary. Um, you don't know how they're going to react and they feel very unpredictable and, and there's just no way around that. It, it sucks. 
Um, right now, there's even more things to navigate, but that is not a reason. If you are feeling inspired and you feel like it's time and you're seeing all the red flags, like act on that. Um, your intuition is your very, very, very greatest indicator of what you should do. If something doesn't match that, if I don't match that, if Marie doesn't match that, if some other voice doesn't match that, you tell us all to fuck off. Like you are the boss. Your, yes. your inspiration, your intuition is the boss, period. So you do what you feel inspired to do. But if you are feeling that right now is the time, it doesn't matter what stands in the way. Like you, you can make it. There are people out there that want to support you. There are plenty of people out there who are willing to talk you through it. Um, there who've are been there, who understand it. Yeah. Bring up your warrior. And, and if now isn't the time, like maybe let, let's say that it's not an, a dangerous situation. Dangerous for sure. Find a way. Maybe it's just you build up your resources until it's time when, when the stay at home is lifted and you're able to go a little easier. But if you're in danger, it's not worth your life to stay with this person. And there are so many willing people out there who've been there, who've done that, who, who would willingly open that space for you. And yeah, like you said, whether there's a pandemic or not, you, there are resources out there if you don't want to go to a WCA. Yes. Yeah. So um, I, I do know a lot of women are saying, I don't want to go to a women's shelter. I also want to point out that a lot of women's shelters aren't just shelters. They're also resource hubs. So even if you don't intend on staying at a women's shelter, you can still reach out and say, look, I, I need some legal resources or I just I need help you know, somebody walking me through how to do this. There's a hotline. Um, there's, there's a lot of other avenues, um, rather than just staying there. So, um, if you're in that situation, don't hesitate to reach out to them just for information and, and direction. Um, don't Good hesitate point. to reach out to friends. There's online resources. Um, and you know, it's funny to think about, but in this time, there's actually even more opportunities than at other times too. So there's, there's always a silver lining, but um, there are more financial resources out there than normally there are. You know, there's the stimulus checks, the unemployment, the extra unemployment, like the, there actually could be some advantages to this time if you can see it that way. So um, don't yeah. allow yourself to just stay stuck in this idea that because there's this weird pandemic time going on that somehow you can't make this work. There could be some serious advantages. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out for resources, do some, do some research, put together a plan. That was really huge for me. A plan, yeah. Yeah, putting together what's my budget going to look like. I, I had a huge fear that I wasn't going to be able to take care of myself. So, um, I, I learned that that was incorrect and I'm just, I'm great at taking care of myself. So allow yourself to be informed by your situation instead of, um, believing the worst of yourself. So, um, any other, uh, resources or solutions, Marie, that I'm missing? Um, I think that knowing how to either pull yourself away from that toxic partner, finding ways to keep filling yourself is helpful. But if, if you can find ways to um, lessen the stress in the relationship, that's helpful. And also finding ways to talk to your apartment or department partner about situations that might come up that you can feel the tension coming up and just say, Hey, I, I have some things that I would like to talk to you about. Is there a time that's more convenient than another? Because I think what happens sometimes in domestic situations is we bring up stuff when it's in the heat of the moment and we don't have a way to, and, and then nothing productive happens from it. Sometimes on the outside, if you ask for time when the, per the other person's not under stress, sometimes we can get across a few things, a few points that we want to make that are helpful in at least reducing the stress 
or if I can't do anything because my partner's not open to any of that because that happens as well, then what can I do to lessen my stress? What are some things that I can do? Maybe I can find some time in the backyard or if possible in the bathtub or whatever, some way to isolate myself away from that to bring my tension down so that I'm not adding to the problem. That Those are some things that I've done in the past. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, um, I, I did read some reports of women just sitting in their cars, which is a little sad, but also- I've done that. Mm-hmm. Go sit in your car, take a drive. Um, I know I've taken a few drives just because I wanna get out of the house and um, not feel cooped up. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a drive or, you know, if, if you have live in an area where you can go take a hike or do something that that's physical and away from the house. I know that's not always an option, but, um, and yeah. call your friend while you're there. Cause inside the house with them is probably not as easy to do either. So that gives you an opportunity to, to be able to either vent or to work on your plan or yeah. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, and writing, writing was a really great way. Writing is awesome. These feelings too. Um, just be careful about how you choose to um, write your feelings. Make sure that it's not accessible to eyes that are not going to be um, useful to you. Yeah, because that exacerbates the problem quite a bit if they find it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I love you all. I wish that um, this was not um such an issue today but it's it's definitely on the rise and worth talking about so i can't wait to hear your thoughts and experiences around this topic um i would love for you to send me your questions or concerns or ideas for topics you'd like to hear us speak about you can reach me at defytheaverage at gmail.com and you can also reach out to marie Marie at mariesgold.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear any feedback that you would like to give us. And you can also reach out again on our Facebook group, um, facebook.com slash groups slash Braveheart Conversations. And you can, um, you can start discussions there. You can message us. So uh, there's lots of different ways to access us and ask your questions. Um, with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. I think we're, we've probably well overspent our time. So I appreciate you all listening um, to this very um, heavy, heavy topic. So with that, I hope you all have a phenomenal week. We both love you and keep kicking ass out there. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye.